Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A quick listener note. This podcast contains adult language and descriptions of violence. Hello. Hi, Mary Alice. Hi, yes, ma'am. Hi, it's Liana again. Um, so, yeah, just checking back with you. Okay, um, yes, uh, the pastor said that it'd be okay to run into bring anything or... Yeah, you know, we were just uh, just thinking, you know, if you've got pictures you'd want to share, um, yes, anything like that would be really great. And maps, would maps be okay? Maps, absolutely. You know, anything you want to share, you know, for us, the, the more the better. It's so It's so helpful that you're willing to meet up. We really appreciate it. I'll never stop. That's why I'm here. Yeah. I knew something would come back. I know he's innocent. I knew his case would come up again. That's why I never left Houston. In the fall of 2019, we arranged our first meeting with Mary Alice Gomez, Charles Raby's girlfriend from back in the day. She was with him when he was arrested, just days after Edna Franklin was murdered. And, according to Charles, Mary Alice was the reason he confessed to the crime. We drove to a low-slung office building just off a state highway northwest of downtown Houston. We were meeting in a space leased by Christ Over Our Life Ministries, or COOL, an evangelical group that works with incarcerated people and those in recovery. The motto, Every Prison Everywhere, was printed on a poster hanging on the wall. Mary Alice is a devout Catholic, but she got involved with COOL because of their work with prisoners. Mary Alice has spent a lot of time helping out incarcerated people, not just Charles. She helps them wade through the everyday challenges that come with being in prison. She's a caretaker by nature. Mary Alice walked in carrying a bunch of stuff. Poster boards, file folders, and a photo album, which she spread out on a conference table. She was wearing a white shirt under a pink leather vest and a silver cross fashioned from the word Jesus on a chain around her neck. Her long black hair was done in two braids. The first thing we asked her, when and how she and Charles met. This question is important because it's central to Charles's claim that he falsely confessed to murder in order to protect her. Remember, Edna Franklin's daughter, Linda McLean, dismissed the idea that Charles would have done this because, as she understood it, he'd only just met Mary Alice, weeks before Franklin's murder in October 1992. But it turns out, that wasn't true. From The Intercept, I'm Liliana Segura. I'm Jordan Smith. Welcome back to Murderville, Texas. Episode 7, Mary Alice. I'm Mary Alice, and I was born here in Houston. Uh, I've known Charles, Charles for, since about 89. Charles and Mary Alice have known each other for more than 30 years. They met in 1989, when Mary Alice was a senior in high school. 
her older sister's boyfriend, Ray, was locked up in the Harris County Jail. He called home a lot, and he mentioned this guy, 19-year-old Charles Raby, who was in jail for a fight he got into with his mother and stepfather. Ray wanted to know if Mary Alice might want to talk to Charles. At first, she wasn't interested. He started calling her on the phone, early morning phone calls, and um, she was always asking me to talk to Charles. You know, and I would tell her, no, I don't have time, I don't have time. I was always on the go, waiting, going to school, and I never met anyone that was in jail before. <laughs> I always said I didn't have time for no jailbird, that's what I would always say. And But Ray told Charles about Mary Alice anyway. He says uh, she has a sister, and he goes, what does she look like? And Ray said, uh, he goes, well, the best way to describe her is uh, she's a short Mexican with hair down to her ass. He said right there, when he said that long hair, he said that that was, uh, that was it. Eventually, Mary Alice came around and began talking to Charles on the phone. So then that's when he asked me at one of the little phone calls, because they didn't last too long, the phone calls, um, if I could send a picture. I said, I don't have no picture. I don't take pictures, you know. So that year, like I said, I was graduating. We took these, so I sent him the one with the white fuzzy, and that was it. I think I was 18. Mm -hmm. And do you remember what he said about the picture? He was in love. It was a classic 1980s high school senior portrait. All soft lighting and big hair thick gold hoop earrings, shot at a slight angle. But instead of the standard drape across the chest, Mary Alice's top is fashioned out of something fluffy and white, like a big feathered boa. It gives the portrait an ethereal quality. A few months later, Charles got out of jail and showed up on the porch of her mother's house. He just looked thin. (laughs) I remember seeing his profile and I was looking out my window, my sister's window, I seen him out on the front porch. And, and then, I don't know, something rose in me and, I, you know, I couldn't, I had to play like, you know, I wasn't interested. And I told my sister, I said, no, because we're both looking out the window and, and he was knocking and, like teenagers do. And I kept saying, you go out there, you go out there. And she goes, no, you go out there, he's here for you. And, and um, I said, ugh. She finally came outside and introduced herself. The two of them sat and talked on the porch. She felt an immediate connection with Charles, but she tried to play it cool. Just came out and, and like, nice to meet you, and we sat on the porch and just, I guess I just talked about how long I'd lived there and, you know, just kind of introduced ourselves. It wasn't too long. Right away he was gone again. Mary Alice said that not long after they met, Charles went back to jail but he was hardly a criminal mastermind. He and two other dudes had stolen a couple 12 packs of Budweiser. A store clerk said Charles had threatened him with a knife. Then the trio crashed their car trying to get away from the police. Charles was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but he would only do about two and a half. This is the crime he was on parole for at the time Franklin was murdered. While he was inside, Charles wrote to Mary Alice every week. But she wasn't nearly as eager as he was at that point. And she didn't want to just wait for him to get out. 
I would tell him, well, I'm, I'm young, you know, you, you know, you went back to jail and what am I supposed to do? You know, wait. And I mean, that's, I mean, what, you know, I mean, I know you say you wanted to start this with me. Now you're back in. And, you know, I, I had a little argument, you know, and, um, and that's what he kept saying. He kept saying, well, if God permits, you know, we will be together and, uh, you know, try to wait for me. I know, you know, it's, it's selfish for me to tell you, ask you to wait and, after that, we continued to ride back and forth for the next two and a half years. And then he told me he promised me eight ten ninety two would he would come home to me. His release date was August 10th, 1992. He promised that on that day, he would be on her front porch. He reiterated this even after Mary Alice got pregnant. That's what he said in one of his letters, you know, when I told him I was pregnant. He said, well, you know, if you take the mother, you accept the child. And that's why he was ready to accept me being pregnant when he came home. Understandably, Mary Alice had doubts. And I said, he'll probably forget. He's going to get out and go, you know, be free again and probably not even think about it. And he was. He was on my porch that day he got out. As promised, it was August 10th, 1992. I just felt like he was, we're soulmates. I mean, he just came over and sat down and started holding hands and like normal, like it was, like we were already together. Didn't even have to say it, make it a fish or anything. Once Charles was out of prison, he was all in for Mary Alice. He got a job at Westfield Sandblasting Company. And 12 days later, he showed up to the baby shower at her mother's house, loaded down with gifts. Baby powder, diaper cloths, cloth diapers, um, baby socks, baby shoes, bottle washer, bottles, baby oil. Uh, one of them uh, warming uh, baby plates with spoon and cup, um, pacifier, brush and comb. And then the swing. Uh, lotion and the, and the mechanical baby swing. It blew me away. That's why I said it's too much. You know, because to me, I, I hate, you know, I guess I've been a little tight to spend money. But to me, it was, it was just, like I said, i never seen it. I'm, nobody's ever done that. And, and I, I felt low, too, you know, because it wasn't his baby, you know. And I said, it's too much. He's like, hmm. Dumped it right there on the coffee table. And there you go. You know, that's, that was the opening of the gift. Mary Alice posed for a photo. The gifts piled on the coffee table in front of her. She's got a big smile on her face and is wearing a T-shirt with balloons and the word mommy across the front. Sitting off to her side on the sofa is Charles in a striped button-down. He's looking down with a slight smile on his face. He didn't like taking pictures. He was always turning away. Um, I kept telling him, scoot closer, and he said, no, you take pictures. So that's why we were that far apart. Mary Alice's son, Christopher, was born in early September 1992. Charles wasn't there. She had a C-section. But he showed up right after. There are photos of him and Mary Alice in her hospital room. Where he was sitting off to the side at the baby shower, he's now up close and personal. He came after work one day and said, he would, you know, he said, I'm going to spend the night even if they don't let me. And, but the nurse came in and she said, um, you want me to get a blanket and pillow? Are you staying? Okay. You know, and she went and got it. 
I always told them that he served me like like Jesus did, served his apostles. He gave me a rocking chair. Um, never had a man to bring me a chair. He would wash my feet and put lotion on them, knowing I couldn't bend down. My son had colic for three days straight, and there he was, just holding him and rocking him and he was gentle with Yes. Like a father, like I said. Mary Alice says her mother fell in love with Charles after seeing how devoted he was to her daughter. She saw how he was with me and my son. She saw how he was with me when I was big and pregnant. You know, um, like I said, Charles, around us, around my house, Charles was something we'd never seen. The unconditional love that he showed towards us towards me. Charles had never seen this kind of love either. His father, Charles Elvis Raby, left his mom when he was just a baby. Charles Elvis had his share of run-ins with the law, too. Most recently, he was sentenced to 60 years for aggravated robbery. We wrote to him in prison early on in our reporting. In March 2020, he wrote back and said that he regretted not being there for Charles when he was a kid. I was not a very good person back then, and I abandoned all my responsibility as a father to Charles, he wrote. After Christopher was born, Charles and Mary Alice were pretty much inseparable. He drew a picture that Mary Alice hung behind Christopher's crib. You can see it in the background of one of the photos she brought to our first interview. See, this is the drawing that he had, so I always kept it hung over his crib. What is this? A drawing a row of a rose with uh, my name on top, and then the middle heart says Christopher Little C, and then the bottom heart says Charles Big C. One day, Charles announced that Bobby Hebb's 1966 hit Sonny was Christopher's song. Sonny! Yesterday my life was filled with rain Sunny She asked Charles to marry her One day, he told her They ended up having a future together Just not the one they were planning Right when it looked like they had their lives together ahead of them Edna Franklin was murdered On October 15, 1992 And Franklin's grandsons, Eric Benj and Lee Rose, quickly named Charles as a suspect. The cops jumped on this and spent the next few days running around Houston looking for him. They went everywhere Charles was known to spend time. His mother's place and then Mary Alice's place. They might have caught up with him there, but his mom called, giving him the heads up. He went out the back door just before the cops arrived. This happened on Friday, October 16th, not even 24 hours after the murder. By Sunday afternoon, Charles, Mary Alice, and baby Christopher were together again at Charles's mother's boyfriend's house on Reed Street, just blocks away from Franklin's place. They sat on the porch and talked. Mary Alice remembers it was a lovely evening, breezy. They decided Charles would turn himself in the next morning. They held hands. That's when she asked him to marry her. As it turned out, they both had marriage on the mind. That same day, 
Charles had asked his aunt, Charlotte, how do you go about marrying someone? Charlotte actually told the cops about that conversation, but as with everything else that didn't fit their chosen narrative, it appears they never wondered. Why would a man facing a murder charge be more concerned with the mechanics of marriage than with getting the hell out of town? It's a small detail, but a curious one. As Mary Alice would later explain to Charles's attorney, Sarah Fraser, that night they made love for the first time. The next morning, before Charles headed out for the police station, the cops showed up at the Reed Street house. They put Charles in one car and Mary Alice and Christopher in another. According to Charles, he thought they were taking Mary Alice home. It was only when he heard Christopher crying at the police station that he realized they had been brought downtown. And according to Charles, this is what made him ultimately confess. He wanted to get them out of there. He didn't want Christopher to grow up as he had, in and out of foster care. He had good reason for concern. Mary Alice recalled being threatened by one of the investigators, Sergeant Wayne Wendell. He said that police could arrest her and take her baby away. Wendell said, uh, ma'am, he goes, you know we can get you for aiding and abetting and take your son into, to, for uh, foster care. And I said, you know what? I said, that's the time I got that. I said, you know what? I said, my female family members will care for my son. I said, I will rot in this place until he comes home. I said, because he did not do it. According to Mary Alice, she didn't realize that Charles had confessed until Wendell told her. Wendell helped me to get my stuff and went and got in his car. And, and I said, I said, when is Charles coming home? You know? And uh, he said, ma'am, he goes, he goes, he signed a confession. And I said, what? A couple days later, Mary Alice went to visit Charles at the Harris County Jail. He said, well, they told me they were going to put you, you know, lock you up. And I said, I didn't care, man. I said, my God, you know. He laid his life down. The courts can't see he did it out of love. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's Amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay. 
By the time Charles was put on trial in the summer of 1994, Mary Alice was pregnant with her second child. Let's take a moment to look back on Charles's trial. It was a shit show. There was no physical evidence linking him to the murder, and the state hid forensic evidence that undercut their theory of the crime. Charles's lawyers, Felix Cantu and Michael Fosher, failed to object to all kinds of testimony. And then, after the state rested its case, they decided not to call any witnesses. Instead, in their closing arguments, they conceded Charles's guilt. Mary Alice was called as a witness by the state. The prosecutor, Roberto Gutierrez, never talked to her before the trial. And the first time she saw him in court, he pressed her about whether Charles had ever confessed to her. So I'm not saying anything, and he goes, but look, look. I mean, you want to look at the pictures? Look, look. And, and he laid them all on that thing up front, and, and I just turned away, and I could see some images, you know, from the corner of my eye. The pictures she's talking about are the crime scene photos from the murder. We've looked at them, and they're pretty graphic and upsetting. Ideally, a lawyer would prepare their witness so that they know what to expect when they testify and feel comfortable on the stand. This is the exact opposite of that. It almost seemed like Gutierrez was trying to scare her and shake her confidence in Charles. Ultimately, her testimony was brief. It started with what should have been a straightforward line of questioning by Gutierrez but it ended up being really awkward. We got a couple actors to read it for you. Do you recall whether or not back in October of 1992, how long it was you had known Mr. Raby? I met him in November of 92. When? November 92. November of 92. Well, did you meet him before or after he was arrested? Before. How many months before he was arrested on this case did you meet him? Can you repeat the question? Sure. Do you agree with the fact that as of the day he was arrested, that you had known him for about two months? Yes. Two months. This obviously isn't true. Mary Alice met Charles in 1989, not 1992. Keep that in mind. We'll get back to it in a second. The rest of the testimony was pretty pointless, unless the point was to undercut the idea that Mary Alice and Charles were in a meaningful relationship, one strong enough that he would confess to murder in order to protect her. Gutierrez also asked her about being pregnant. Was she carrying Charles's kid? No, she said. What about her other kid, Christopher? Was that Charles's baby? No. Again, the line of questions seemed designed not only to shame Mary Alice, but also to emphasize that her relationship with Charles couldn't have been all that serious. All of this presented Charles's lawyers with an opportunity to set the record straight when it came time to cross-examine Mary Alice. Instead, they asked no questions at all. Which brings us back to the weird exchange between Gutierrez and Mary Alice about when she'd met Charles. According to Mary Alice, she was thrown off by that question because of instructions given to her by Felix Cantu, Charles's lead attorney. 
He didn't want the jury to know that she'd met Charles while he was in jail back in 1989. Because it would make Charles look bad. Yeah, Mr. Cantu did. Wait, he did tell me, you don't want to tell him that you met him while he was in jail because that just put doubt in the jury's mind. That, that's what he told me. Okay. And, and so, uh, and, uh, I said, okay, you know, I mean, he goes, well, just tell me you met him at his grandmother's at a dinner or something after church or something. But is that true? Mm-mm. And then he gave me a date. You make something up? And then he gave me a date, and then I think that's why I even got confused with the dates. We asked Cantu about this. In an email, he wrote, I never asked Miss Gomez to lie on the witness stand. He said he just didn't want her to volunteer that she and Charles had met while Charles was locked up on aggravated robbery charges. It's understandable that a defense attorney wouldn't want something like that brought in. But the truth is that Mary Alice met Charles in 1989, when he was in jail on different charges. And, whether he meant to or not, Cantu put her in a really awkward and pretty stressful position. Did you think that Charles's lawyers thought he was guilty? Mm-hmm. Or just, uh, he, he was, didn't prepare, didn't investigate, didn't... Didn't do anything. Didn't talk to anybody. I would call his aunt. I would call his aunt. Has, has his lawyer called you? No. Has his lawyer called you? No. Anything? No. Cantu told us he didn't recall exactly what he or his co-counsel, Michael Fosher, did to reach out to Charles's family. But he also said they never reached out to him. In fairness to Cantu, he did call Mary Alice and her mother, Aurora, as witnesses later on, during the sentencing phase of the trial. So they had a chance to describe how Charles was a loving and supportive boyfriend. On cross-examination, Gutierrez asked Aurora about her interactions with Charles before the murder. Now, at the time that Charles was in your home, he gave you no indication that he was going to kill anybody, he asked. No, she replied. Well, knowing what she knew now, would she be comfortable having Charles in her home? Well, I really don't know, she said, because I'm not sure if he did it or not. Aurora might still have had doubts, but the jurors had already convicted Charles. And in June 1994, they sentenced him to death. Still, Mary Alice stood by Charles, at great personal cost. All my neighbors quit talking to me. I've had threats. I had phone calls. I had things thrown on my porch. Um, Quit helping him or else. This is in part why she felt so vindicated by the news that DNA had been recovered from under Franklin's fingernails. DNA that didn't match Charles. When the Houston Chronicle wrote a story about it in the summer of 2009, she carried a copy of it with her everywhere. She wanted the whole world to know. I carried a clear bag because I'm not your girly type pretty person like that. And, uh, that, that newspaper, I carried it facing out. I went to church, I went everywhere, and with it facing out. Mary Alice carried a clear plastic purse so people could see the headline. Inmate's case puts HPD Crime Lab back in spotlight. The article had some choice quotes from Charles's attorney, Sarah Frazier. Trying to pretend that Mr. Raby's trial was at all legitimate is becoming more and more strained, she said. 
He clearly is entitled to a new trial after all this time. Of course, as we've previously discussed, the DNA evidence wasn't enough to exonerate Charles. But from the first time we met Mary Alice, it was clear she was not giving up. You feel confident he's going to get out? Mm-hmm. I can't think no other way. I serve an awesome God and Charles is still alive. I believe that. That's what I hold on to. Mm-hmm. I guess just for the record, we're here at a McDonald's on, what, what, what is its neighborhood? North Plain and I-45. The next time we saw Mary Alice was in November 2019. We met her at a McDonald's and talked near the play area as Christmas music played through the speakers. She said she'd recently told her family that she planned to be more public in advocating for Charles. I did a little presentation in front of my family Saturday and they said they would be supportive of me. We hoped we'd be able to meet members of her family, including her mom, and we assumed we'd have plenty of time to do this. But then, pandemic. It ended up being months before we'd catch up with Mary Alice again. We finally got her on the phone in May 2020. Like so many others, she'd struggled during the early phases of the pandemic. But she was also really on the ball. She's worked in healthcare for years, taking care of elderly dementia patients. I guess early March, I started wearing my face mask. At that time, I just went to storage and pulled out my little sewing machine. I said, God, I said, I want to be a part of that. So I started making face masks. And see, my daughter is a foreman at the uh, Port of Houston. And so she wore one of my masks. And next thing you know, all the guys wanted one. Where many people were upset when Texas shut down prison visits, Mary Alice was relieved. She felt like Charles would be better protected from the virus that way. The last time that I saw him, I think it was February, I told him, I said, I will not be surprised if if they shut this place down. I said, that'd be the best thing. They need to stop visits. And uh, sure enough, the next week, that very next Monday or whatever, no more visits. But she also acknowledged feeling really depressed as the pandemic set in. And she relied on Charles for support. He kept her motivated. I went three days without leaving the bed, literally. I would go to Charles and I told him, you know, nothing's the same and nothing's the same and this is not the same. And this, and that's when he said, get a hold of yourself. So he's always looked out for my best interest all the time, no matter what. There's an article on my refrigerator that he sent me, and it's about what herbs to start cooking with that will build, boost your immune system. The next time we talked to her was in late June. Houston was getting hit hard by COVID. Hey, Mary Alice. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Okay, how are you? Things were getting so bad all around her, it was hard to keep up. Earlier in the month, she'd gotten a letter that shocked her. It was from Charles's dad, Charles Elvis. In recent years, Mary Alice had been trying to help facilitate a relationship between him and his son. 
It wasn't easy, especially with both of them in prison. Now, Charles Elvis was writing her to say that he was sick with COVID. I literally fell to my knees. It just says, hey, Mary Alice, I'll have to keep this short. Now I tested positive with the virus and I've never been sick in my entire life. And so far, I'm not getting any better. I can't really tell you much because I really don't know what's happening with me. I'm good with our Lord, but maybe a prayer wouldn't hurt. Charles Elvis would eventually recover. But we could tell Mary Alice was pretty stressed out. She was trying to keep herself safe, keep her elderly patients safe, tend to her family's needs, and to Charles's needs. I've gone to church. Sunday I went for the first time, but um, last Sunday, but um, it was distance and people had masks on and I just need to get back to church. By August 2020, the virus had made it to death row. And despite the ongoing pandemic, the state of Texas had decided to carry out an execution. Here are some of the big stories we're following today. In Huntsville, a man is scheduled to be executed tonight. Billy Wardlow shot and killed an 82-year-old man in northeast Texas during a 1993 robbery when he was 20. Wardlow's execution will be the first during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mary Alice was feeling burnt out and even more vulnerable. So that execution hit her harder than others had over the years. She told us Charles was struggling too. Mary Alice, how's uh, Charles doing? Well, nervous, scared. Uh, Finally, it's it's gotten into death row, you know, the, the virus and so I don't know. I don't know. He, he hardly doesn't bite me. He doesn't. Uh, I don't know if he was going through a bout of depression. I don't know what's going on. So he just tells me I've been sleeping a lot, way too much, sleeping a lot, way too much. I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to work out. I don't want to. I say, yeah, I feel I'm feeling the same way right now. There was also a growing tension in their relationship. Charles always had tasks for Mary Alice related to his case. He was always asking her to make copies of things that he wanted to be sure his lawyers saw, things he thought would help his appeals. This was going on long before the pandemic, and when it hit, he didn't stop. She was getting increasingly frustrated with him about it. He's sending me a bunch of stuff. It's getting overwhelming, but, you know, with the way he said it, it's got to get done, it's got to get done. So that makes him feel good because, you know, trust me, 100%. Other than that, you know, we don't talk about the future. We don't talk about anything other than the case. Part of the problem was that Charles seemed not to understand how much the outside world had changed. Because of the pandemic, but also in general, since the early 1990s. For example, at one point, Mary Alice sent him a bunch of things she'd printed out for him. Copies of case-related photos and documents. Because he wanted to see how they looked. But instead of sending them back to her so she could scan and email them to his lawyers, he mailed them directly to the lawyers, to their office. And now I said, why did you do that? Send them back to me. I I scan them and I send them to them, you know. Oh, he didn't trust that. He didn't trust that they were going to come out with the same color, the same (laughs) texture and all that. And I said, why did you do that? They went to the office. Nobody's in their office, Charles. 
They were losing patience with one another. Charles was nitpicking about the copies. Mary Alice was pushing back, telling him she couldn't spend all her time at Office Depot. They seemed to be having the same argument over and over again. So see, it's, it's almost like dealing with one of my patients, having to repeat myself and repeat. And that's a lot. That's a lot. A lot of times. And like I said, I'm getting older and, and trying to take care of myself now, looking for the next 10 years. How am I going to take care of myself? And I got to think some more. And, 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 and just sometimes my brain wore out of thinking for other people. It was clear that Mary Alice was starting to reevaluate things in her life. She had always put others first. Maybe it was time to put herself first. She bought herself a leather reclining chair as a treat, she told us. And she bought something else she told us she'd wanted her whole life. Finally went and bought me a, a gun. A gun? Mm-hmm. Nobody could believe it, but I said, you know what? Y'all don't know me that I've wanted one forever. I've always wanted to have one. And so I've been practicing. I'm real good. Uh, Where have you been going to, to shoot the gun? What range have you been going to? It's one off of 45. People are nice. And I just forget the world when I'm in there. It's, it's it, it, it takes me somewhere else, you know, gives me peace. She was dreaming about buying a piece of property and a house, just getting out of the city. Where would you want to have property if you could? Like, where would you want to go? Well, I don't know, probably, like, I guess between Umbo and Splendor, maybe. So you wouldn't go very far? No, I, don't, I couldn't do that right now. Like I said, I can't, number one... Because of Charles, you know, I can't go too far. I, I, that, what, I'm, I'm always going to stay right here because of that. We talked to Mary Alice again as the pandemic was nearing the one-year mark. She was still taking care of her elderly patients. She was also trying to help various folks she knows in prison to secure their stimulus checks. She'd lost two loved ones to COVID, she told us. And two of her uncles down in Mexico had died suddenly in tragic circumstances. She'd bought a used car and was still thinking about buying some land outside of town. Have you uh, talked to Charles recently? Not much. Kind of upset with him. This big old misunderstanding. It's like it was strange. You know, he just didn't understand. You know, everything was shut down. Couldn't do nothing. And, and uh, I said, I can't even get ink unless I order it, Charles, you know, from my printer. And uh, then he didn't like the way my prints were coming out and that they don't look good and they're not clear enough. And I said, whoa, I said, wait a minute. I said, I bought this printer to make t-shirts, not to be printing you exhibits, you know. And he's like, oh, that, you know, yeah, big old mess. And I wasn't doing it fast enough, I guess. He just started blowing up on me like I never imagined he would. He was bickering with her again about making copies. The same old problem. But as Mary Alice went on, it started to feel like things were escalating. It wasn't just about the copies. Mary Alice, can I go back to something you said? You said something about how Charles 
um, sort of exploded at you in a way that you never thought he would. And what exactly happened there? Well, you know, I've always confided in him, you know, just, you know, told him everything. We you know, we talked, you know, and and, and uh, he's like the only person in the whole world that I could trust, you know. And, and then uh, and little by little, just started throwing things in my face. I'm like, well, I said, I thought that was, you know, confident. I thought that was, you know, just something I told, talked to you about. And you're going you're gonna to bring that up now, you know, just everything. He was holding everything against me. He even mentioned one time. He said, you know, uh, oh, because I told him, I said, and, and you, I said, uh, you, you, you have not and cannot earn to speak to me this way. And he wrote back and he says, I think I earned the right to speak to you this way the day I signed that paper. And to me, that cut my heartstrings completely. Signed what paper? I guess that false confession. Oh. This was a devastating thing for Mary Alice to hear. Charles was basically holding her responsible for what had become of his life. It wasn't fair. And it was cruel. Charles and Mary Alice are on far better footing now. But this was a real low point in their relationship. Because as Mary Alice saw it, it was actually Charles who didn't hold up his end of the bargain. They'd talked about getting married and had planned a life together. She had dreams of becoming a translator. Charles was going to stay home and take care of Christopher. And then... He signed the confession. I told him, I said, I was supposed to be a translator. He was supposed to stay home with kids. I wanted to be a translator for, for, for Mexico and, and, and France. I wanted to speak French and, 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 and French. That's what I wanted to do. And, and we had it all planned out. And why he signed it, I don't know why. He said he did it for me. He said he did it for my son. And, him, I said, but I would have fought. It's hard to say, but 28 and a half years later, we're still, I'm still shedding tears over him. Next time on Murderville, Texas Memories. Just know that if you're beating down a path to try and prove this man's innocent, you are wrong. You are wrong. I really connected with you know, him, because I, I felt like, you know, if he only had a chance, maybe he would, he could do better. But in the environment he lived in, I said, he really doesn't have a chance. And it was, it was very sad. You know, when you got somebody, when you got somebody, you, you, you getting ready to juice up on that gurney, why wouldn't you want to know the truth? Murderville, Texas is a production of The Intercept and First Look Media. Andrea Jones is our story editor. Julia Scott is senior producer. Truk Wynn is our podcast fellow. Laura Flynn is supervising producer. Fact-checking by Miri Jesuthasen. Special thanks to Jack Desidoro and Holly Demuth for additional production assistance. Voice acting on this episode by Vincent Thomas and Edie Salas Miller. 
Our show was mixed by Rick Kwan with original music by Zach Young. Legal review by David Brelo. Executive producers are Roger Hodge and Christy Grussman. For The Intercept, Betsy Reed is the editor-in-chief. I'm Liliana Segura. And I'm Jordan Smith. You can read show transcripts and see photos at theintercept.com slash murderville. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Liliana Segura and at chronic underscore Jordan. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash donate. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. And please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find us. If you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much for listening. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Ando. And I'm Fer. And we host Niñas, Niñas Bien, Bien Podcast. We want to invite you to listen to our show. Niñas Bien means good girls in Spanish. But you have to know that this is not a podcast for good girls. Or for girls at all. It is a comedy podcast. So everyone is welcome to listen. We talk about sex, relationships, technology. We recommend movies and TV shows and discuss pop culture in general. And there is Chisme Ajeno too. A section we have just to gossip about everyone. So you'll find something you like here. And you'll practice your Spanish. The cleanest Spanish you'll find, we promise. And if you already hablas español, vamos a hacer tus nuevas amigas. We'll be your friends for the non-Spanish speakers. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Hosted by Acast and available to all audio platforms. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>